0: Welcome to this Linklater's podcast on operational resilience. Joining me are Sumit Indwa, Eugenie Levy, and Kishore Bindi. In our last episode, we looked at the EU's operational resilience regime. Today, we're travelling to Hong Kong to talk to the team about operational resilience there and how this compares to the approach taken in the UK. Sumit, how are the Hong Kong regulators approaching operational resilience? Thanks, Simon.
1: So the topic of operational resilience has been baked into the rules and regulations of the Hong Kong Monetary Authority and the Securities and Futures Commission for some time now. We've often seen it specifically name checked in connection with topics like cybersecurity, business continuity planning, and technology risk management. So, for example, the HKMA has had a specific section of its supervisory policy manual for some time that covers operational risk management. But that's not to say that operational resilience does not also come into various other modules in the SPM and other HKMA guidance.
2: Absolutely, and it is a similar story with the SFC regime. It too has one particular document, which houses much of what you would class as operational resilience measures, the management, supervision and internal control guidelines. But besides those guidelines, other operational resilience elements can be found spread around in several SFC publications without being specifically drawn together. Until now, that is. Because the SFC has recently published a circular specifically on operational resilience and remote working.
1: Yes, that's right. The SFC has perhaps viewed COVID-19 as a bit of a stress test for the resilience of firms operations here in Hong Kong. And one which is actually quite successful, uh, although of course, there have been some lessons to to be learned. The SFC is therefore helpfully packaged up all of these learnings into this one new circular. The circular sets out five operational resilience standards, which all intermediaries will need to meet. As well as these five standards, the circular sets out what the SFC is calling required implementation measures. And on top of that, there's some more colour from the Commission in the form of their report on operational resilience and remote working arrangements. Their report also sets out some suggested techniques and procedures. Firms can follow these to help ensure they're operationally resilient. This is an approach which firms might recognise from the SFC's existing internal control guidelines. The commission has said in its circular that intermediaries are encouraged to adopt these techniques and procedures where appropriate in their circumstances. I think the handy thing with this report is that it also provides some lessons learned in case studies based on real life examples that the SFC has come across in the course of their supervisory work. So this is an important resource because as a firm, you need to make sure you're seeing operational resilience through the same lens as the regulator.
0: Okay, so it sounds like the SFC is, is helpfully trying to tie together various strands here. Should we begin by talking about those five standards for intermediaries?
2: Yes. So the five standards are built around governance, operational risk management, ICT, that is information and communication technology, third party dependency risk management, and business continuity planning. Some of these topics will be very familiar to firms. For example, the internal control guidelines already cover having a business continuity plan in place, and the SFT has previously issued a list of questions firms should ask themselves when they review their BCP. However, the Circular's operational resilience standard on business continuity planning adds new obligations. For example, the SFT standard is now requiring that BCP have to be reviewed at least annually. Through its required implementation measures, the SFC also further fleshes out its supervisory expectations. For example, it explains what it expects to see from an incident management process. This should include, for example, having communication plans covering both internal and external stakeholders, and reporting to the regulator material incidents affecting your clients' interests and your ability to conduct business as usual. Therefore, firms are going to need to go through the circular carefully and review how their current policies and procedures are structured to check that they meet the expected standards and implementation techniques for an operational resilience framework.
0: So, actually, that sounds like it could be quite a time-consuming process for firms. What are the key points that you think firms should be aware of?
1: Well, picking out some key points from the circular, one headline has to be that intermediaries will need to set operational resilience objectives. As well as that, they'll need continually to identify disruptive incidents, which may affect the sound efficient and effective operations of their business. Of course, it will be senior management as a whole who's responsible for setting the objectives and developing and implementing the necessary frameworks. Senior management will also have to review and approve the intermediary's risk tolerance for disruptions to its business operations. I think a key point is that you're going to need to have an operational resilience framework that clearly sets out uh, and covers the five standards. This would need to include at a minimum a statement of the firm's operational resilience objectives and a description of their governance processes around this. Firms may already have much of this in place, but it'll be a case of clearly documenting and flagging those measures as part of their operational resilience plans.
0: And Kish, let's bring you in, because how does this all compare to the UK's operational resilience regime? Yeah, there
3: are definitely hallmarks of the UK regime. For example, on the point Sumit was just making about clearly documenting your operational resilience and the governance framework around that, this is a really important part of the UK's agenda. And I know you've covered that point already in previous podcasts. UK senior management would also be expected to be doing that review and approval of impact tolerance. Sumit also mentioned that you have to identify the potential disruption threats. There's no separate obligation to do this in the UK rules but you still have to do this exercise as part of identifying your important business services.
2: Another headline from the FFC report is the requirement to identify dependencies on key third parties, and this includes intergroup entities. You then need to evaluate the resilience of the third party service providers and manage the resulting risks in accordance with those operational resilience objectives which you'll have set. The internal control guidelines already give intermediaries some guidance on risk management. There's also the IOSCO principles on outsourcing, which have been endorsed by the SFC and have a dedicated topic on concentration of outsourcing functions. So this will not be something which isn't familiar to intermediaries. However, again, the latest circular and report on operational resilience now give us more specific information on the SFC's expectation. For example, assessments on how the unavailability of key service providers will affect the intermediary's business, and how to go about establishing processes and benchmarks for monitoring a service provider's ability to deliver services during disruptions. So just to highlight this point again, firms should already have some procedures in place regarding their third party dependencies, but it will be a case of making sure that their current policies go far enough and weaving them into a clear Operational Resilience Badged Framework.
3: There are certainly echoes here of the UK regime. We've been fielding questions from clients, not only about how the regime applies to them directly, but also what they should be doing where they provide services to third parties, which, as Eugenie says, includes affiliates. We've seen firms in the scope of the regime when they're looking at all the things they need to deliver their important business services as part of their mapping exercise then reach out to their third party providers and ask about their resilience processes to help them identify vulnerabilities. Anyway, like Eugenie was saying, the question then is how all this gets documented and how those documents are then maintained.
0: So looking ahead, what happens next?
1: The SFC has not set any timeline for implementing any uplifts needed as a result of the new circular. So given that much of this builds upon the existing rules, this is really something which firms will need to start thinking about straight away. I think just to add, while we have spent most of our time today talking about the SFC and the latest developments on that front, it is worth stating as well that we're expecting to see a consultation or two in the coming months from the HKMA, which is likely to take the international standards and operational resilience set by the Basel Committee and make sure that all are clearly covered by a supervisory policy manual. So I expect there's a bit more to come in this space.
0: Thank you, Sumit, Eugenie and Kish. Please get in touch if you have any questions. For now, thank you for listening and goodbye. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.